man, I'm so excited about this time with you guys and to get summer nights kicked off. If we haven't met, my name's Corey. I'm the Young Adults Pastor now, and I'm excited to get to know you guys. And I know some of you don't know much about my story. I'm going to share a little bit about my story tonight. But I brought a picture of my family to share with you guys. So this is my wife, Danielle. She's a second grade teacher at Scottridge and Apex, if we can pull that up. And those are my three awesome daughters that are all teenagers. And yes, I'm old enough to have three teenage daughters. Surprise. I didn't have start having kids when I was 12. We got married young and started having babies. And I love being a girl dad. I love my girls. I'm so grateful for the life that we have together. And I'm so excited to get to work with you all. I've actually been in a different role here as a pastor at Hope for the last three years. And Matt Curtis has been one of my really good friends that I've gotten to help him lead you guys in young adults ministry. And he just went to Fuquay and I got the opportunity to step into this role. And I'm so excited because I really believe in young adults needing a safe place to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And that is what Summer Nights is all about. And we hope this builds momentum to get other young adults involved and for you to get to know each other and to really discover the power of following Jesus for yourself. And you know, I just want to acknowledge that some of you might be here and you're just here because someone told you there was free chicken nuggets. Like you didn't sign up for Jesus and you're like, what are these songs? And we're just glad you're here. And some of you have been around church for a while, but maybe you're carrying with you some hurt, some baggage from different church experiences, maybe some hurt from your family and how they practice Christianity. And the young adult years are really a, a time for you to unpack some of that and develop uh, a foundation for yourself of whether you're really going to follow the way of Jesus from the Bible and let go of some of the baggage of Christianity that might not be in the Bible at all. And there might be some healing that you need to go through. And so we want to create a safe place for that. And some of you might be here and you're just all in, like you've had your life changed by Jesus and he's as close to you as the breath that you're breathing right now. And you're just excited to see more people know him and to know him better yourself. And wherever you are in that journey, we're just really glad you're here. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do in your life this summer. And I just want to encourage you to be here, to make this a priority. I know there's a lot of different things that you can do in the summer to get uh, involved with that are good things, but I don't think there's anything better than really diving into the way of Jesus for yourself. And that's the second thing I'm really excited about is to, to explore what it means to follow the way of Jesus in this really powerful passage of the Bible that we're going to be unpacking together through different speakers every week. We're going to be looking at John 13 through 17 which is known as the last words of Jesus. And it's a very extended view into the last night that he shared with his first followers before he went to die on the cross. And if you've read the Bible before, you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are like the, the stories of Jesus' life. And John 13 to 17 is like this really intimate, personal view where Jesus takes his best friends into a, a really close upper room. And he has this very intimate conversation with them about what he wants for their life after he's gone. And it's incredibly powerful. I, a little morbid thought to think about. Like, have you ever thought about if you had one more day on earth, like what you would say to the people closest to you? Like, that's a morbid thought. It's kind of heavy, right? Like, what would you do to, to share with them how much you love them? And, and what would you share about your life and what mattered to you that you want to pass on to them? I mean, maybe you'd be so overwhelmed with emotion if you knew that was coming that you wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how I would handle that moment. Or maybe you just be speechless and you just want to hang out. I don't know. But this is the moment that we see Jesus step into. This is the conversation that he wants to have with all of us. 
about what the most important things are that God wants us to know about following his way of life. And what you'll see is that the brilliance of Jesus is that he gives us a way of life that we can follow and that if we embrace, we'll change us from the inside, but also end up changing the lives of other people around us. Get caught up in this bigger story that's so much bigger than ourselves of God who's changing the world and inviting us to be a part of it through a relationship with Jesus. So I want to encourage you just to tune in to these words. And really, if you've never read this passage, I would encourage you to dig into it for yourself. Like, read John 13 through 17. Like, spend time in it. Set aside some time every day just to read a passage and, and pray about it and, and, and get to know what Jesus is saying to you. And this is a space that we're creating that's a safe place for you to encounter the spirit of Jesus in community together. But as you learn to relate to him for yourself, that's going to be even more powerful. And so what Jesus shows us is that he set an example for us to follow a way of life, a pattern of life that he wants us to imitate. And Jesus isn't meant to just be admired and worshipped, which he is, but meant to be followed. He says this in John 13. He says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And for some reason in the church, we get it twisted and we make the church about so many other things than just that simplicity. The beautiful simplicity of doing what Jesus has done for us. And really that has to do with everything with recapturing this way of love that we're going to be diving into tonight in John 13. Jesus showed us a very particular form of love, and this is at the heart of what it means to follow his way. If we miss this, we miss everything. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, said this. He says, In the same way the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ, if they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, megachurches, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible, the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is being gathered together in him. I mean, that'll blow your mind a little bit. That's profound. The purpose that we exist for is to know and become like Jesus. And we need to recapture that as a church. And can you imagine what it would be like if a group of young adults really committed to living that way together? and encouraging each other to find what that really meant for them in their everyday life, man, it could change the world. And so in John 13, what we're going to start today is really diving into how Jesus teaches us to love, the way of love. And each week we're going to be taking a different section of Scripture from John 13 to 17 and looking at a different part of this way of Jesus. And, and this is where we're going to start in John 13. And what we're going to see is pretty cool. Jesus doesn't just give them a book to read. He doesn't just give them a sermon he doesn't give them a theory about God. He demonstrates what love really looks like. If you've never looked at this passage, this is how it begins. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Did we miss the first part of that? There's a bigger passage here that I want to make sure you read. Oh, yeah, that's where it starts. I think we missed one. Let me go back and read this again because it's really cool, okay? It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Another translation says, To the fullest extent. 
It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. Jesus puts love on display for them in an incredibly personal and powerful way. He takes the form of a servant and shows them a very particular kind of love, a love that gives of ourself, a love that goes way deeper than feelings. It puts love into action for the good of, of someone else and takes the form of a humble servant. And this was radically countercultural. The first thing you need to know about Jesus' way to love is that it is not of this world. It comes from God. Did you see? He knew exactly what he came to do. This is the moment where he's putting on display how much God loves them in just a very tangible, simple act that he wants us to get into our hearts and learn to even share with each other. That we would take the form of a servant with one another and put love into action. And this is counterculture. We miss it because in our culture, we don't do meals like this. Like if you go into Chipotle, like no one's going to stop you at the door and be like, hey, let me wash your feet. Like that sounds kind of weird, right? You know, but in Jesus culture, that was normal. Like when you walked into a house, that was the first thing you did before you shared a meal. And in this instance, they actually gathered around the table, which would have been a little surprising because no one washed their feet at first. And they're at the meal, and Jesus gets up from the table and begins washing their feet. And the reason they did that is because people would eat at a table reclining on the ground. And while you were reclining, what might be touching you? The person next to you, your feet. And they didn't have cool Nikes and Jordans at the time. They walked in sandals or even barefoot. And you know there's animal poop on the ground and dust, and our feet get nasty. And who likes you touching their feet anyway? Like that, it's just gross. And so it was countercultural for someone of Jesus' position, let alone being God, to take the form of a servant and wash their feet. That was the, the, the job of the lowest person in society. It was considered to be shameful. Actually, in researching this passage, I found out just how shocking this would have been. Dale Bruner, who writes in the gospel, about the Gospel of John, says this, what makes the fourth gospel's account so extraordinary is there is no parallel in any ancient literature for a person of superior status voluntarily washing the feet of someone of inferior status. Jesus' act therefore represents an assault on the usual notions of social hierarchy, a subversion of the normal categories of honor and shame. It's not just an honored teacher who's performing a shameful act, but a divine figure with the sovereignty of the cosmos who has taken the role of a slave. I mean, get your mind around that. Jesus is down on his knee saying, I'm taking the form of the most humble person, the most shameful position in society, and I'm giving it honor and dignity, and I care about the mess of the world so much that I'm going to show you what God's compassion looks like with a personal touch, running to the mess of his closest friends to show them that God isn't afraid of their mess. He loves them right where they are in the parts of their lives that they might want to cover up and act like they are, are too good to need help with. Jesus is saying, I care about those things. And you can almost picture the smile on his face while he's doing it. And so Jesus' love is incredibly countercultural. It puts love into action. 
It's filled with compassion, and it demonstrates it in a very tangible, servant way, putting the needs of others ahead of himself. And then the second thing he shows us is that Jesus' love requires vulnerability to receive it. I mean, here's what happens next. After Jesus gets down, his friends are so shocked that if you know the story, one of his friends, Peter, who's always putting his foot in his mouth, says this. He says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? No way. Like, I don't deserve this. Which probably is the right thing for him to say. But Jesus is very clear with him. He says this. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Jesus is saying that to embrace his way to love, it requires vulnerability. It requires admitting that we need him to wash us clean, that we actually have a problem we need Jesus' help with, like you heard Carrie beautifully say. And that he cares about that in our life. He cares about the shameful, messed up, broken, dirty places in our life enough to show us that personal touch and care. And we have to have the humility to receive it. To live in the way of Jesus' love, it actually requires vulnerability. If we're ever going to give that kind of love to someone else, we actually have to receive it ourselves. And that takes incredible vulnerability. And I have to say, I'll just share a little bit of my story with you. That's been a learning curve for me. I grew up learning that you don't show weakness as a guy. I played sports growing up. I was the guy in high school that loved to wear no fear t-shirts. I don't know if you guys like, uh, you know, remember those. There might be artifacts, but I brought a picture to show you of one. Um, can you pull that up? Yeah, this is one of the shirts I wore in high school that second place is the first loser. Like, I was designed to not show weakness, to, to show my value through performance and, and dominating others, to act like I didn't have anxiety. But you know what? It, was, it really was just a, a show. And it wasn't until I met Jesus and I found out that he cared about what was inside of me and he saw the places that were messed up inside of me enough to lay his life down on a cross to die for me, that that began to change something inside. I began to experience a new identity that I was loved for who I was because God loved me, rather than trying to prove myself and that I didn't have these things inside. It, but for, for a long time, I didn't really know how to be honest about it until I got later into my 20s and I was already married and I actually ran into some failure for the first time in my life in a significant way. Um, and so this is me getting pretty vulnerable with you guys. When I was about 26 years old, I had gotten my second master's degree and I was married and had two daughters at that point in time. And we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina to help Jason Gore start a church from Hope Community Church into downtown Raleigh to reach the next generation. And I was filled with all this passionate idealism about how we were going to change the world. And me and Jason, Jason came out and lived with me in California for a week. We went to Africa together. We dreamed about all these great dreams. And man, I was so excited to be here. And then when I got here that year, things started falling apart. And I remember one day we were um, playing basketball, actually at Grace Christian School right next door. They have a gym over there. And I, I love basketball. It's a way I relieve stress. And... I was going one Saturday morning to play, and things had not been going well. Me and my wife were having a lot of tension about what we were doing in ministry, and I wasn't sure what to do about it. It was the first time just things weren't clicking for me in my life. And 
I, you know, I was on the way to play and my wife called me and she said, Corey, there is a pile of poop all in our yard. And she might not have used the word poop. <laughs> and she, I said, well, what do you mean? Like a dog pooped in our yard? And I was like, and she's like, no, like, I don't know what it is, but it is an enormous pile. And I was like, well, it sounds like that can wait until after I play basketball. So I was really filled with compassion at that point in time uh, for my wife. And so I did go play basketball. We already had enough uh, tension going on that that wasn't going to hurt. So I went and played basketball, came back, and literally there was a pile of excrement in our yard. And it was because we had such good intentions. We were going to save the environment by using eco-friendly diapers. At this point in my life, my 20s, I bought a 1985 Mercedes and converted it to run on vegetable oil, grease from Chinese restaurants. Like, we were being as eco-friendly as possible. We used these biodegradable diapers that you, uh, like, had to peel the lining out of them and then flush them down the toilet. It was the grossest thing ever, but we were caring for God's world. It was great. <laughs> and so, literally, all those diaper linings blew up in our yard and... I was shoveling a pile of our own crap into a hole I dug in my own yard for the rest of the day and calling the city to help me out. And honestly, that's what that whole year felt like. Like, it was just a black hole of crap. And I didn't see the way out. I didn't know how to deal with it because I'd never experienced with failure and frustration on that level, tension with my wife. And we ended up needing to move. And some of the dreams that we had that time, I thought, died. And they did for a while. But God opened us a door for us to, to work for a church back in my hometown in Roanoke. And honestly, I was humiliated. I was 26 years old, two kids, one on the way, and we were living with my parents, and I was working for a traditional church that I never thought I'd work for. And I was sitting in the youth room one day. This is after being there for about two months. And I was like, what just happened in my life? I went from Los Angeles, this like awesome graduate school experience, to go start a church to reach the next generation. And now I'm living with my parents, sitting in a youth center in a traditional church that I never thought I'd work for. And God's spirit spoke to me so clearly. And he said, Corey, I brought you here because you love your vision for the church more than my actual church. And I want to teach you how to love my church. And that changed something inside of me that God wanted me to not look at all my dreams and big plans and ideas, but to actually love and serve and build up his people. And that's what being a pastor is all about. And I had these big dreams to change the world, but God needed to change some things inside of me. I need to learn how to let God into my weakness. I need to learn how to love my wife and kids like Jesus. And in that time, God brought some amazing mentors into my life that really helped me in my 20s learn what those things mean. They helped me learn how to discern the, the difference between some of my good ideas and God's ideas how to listen to the voice of God for myself and, and walk with the Holy Spirit. Things that I knew were true in the Bible, but were far from my experience. I didn't have the character of, of living it out. And so God began rebuilding us from the inside. Out of that, that year of the poop hitting the fans, some of the most beautiful things came out of it. And here's, here's the truth, is if we're going to embrace the way of Jesus, we have to embrace weakness to live in his way. We have to learn how to be honest about our vulnerabilities, our failures, the things we feel ashamed of, and let God and others in to help us. I mean, I love the honesty of the Bible. And one of the first leaders of the church, Paul, he writes like the majority of what we have is the New Testament. And he says this really clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, 
My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. And that's what we're invited into in relationship with God, is that we can admit our weakness and find a strength that comes from God that's greater than ourselves. And if we're committed to just doing things our own way and acting like we don't need God or anyone else to help, we can miss out on the power of God that's there to help us experience new life and freedom. Because God cares about us and what we're going through. It's one of the things that I love about this passage in John 13 is that Jesus is, it just gets so personal. I mean, can you, you picture Jesus like bent down on his knee, washing your feet right now? Like it's almost hard to picture, right? Like I really do, I have an extra piece of meat on my foot. Like I have flat feet. I don't want anyone to see or touch my feet. And so when I picture Jesus doing that, I'm kind of like, like, no. But I've learned that, man, I gotta, I gotta let God into my weaknesses. I gotta let God into that place that needs other people's approval of me so that I can find a security that's greater than myself. I gotta let God into that place where I really just wanna be selfish rather than serve my wife. And when I do, when I'm honest about those things, I find that God comes into those places and washes me clean. And it's, it's not always easy and it's not always magical. And sometimes you need people to help you walk that way. And that's why we have this community together. And that's why I want you to experience life in small groups where you can be honest and you can encourage each other to experience this new life that Jesus offers us because he wants you to find his power in your life in a real way that's for you. So if we're going to embrace the way of Jesus, we've got to embrace weakness. And then if we're going to embrace the way of Jesus, we need to actively serve other people. I mean, Jesus is really clear in John 13 that he set this example so we could do the same thing for others, so that we could show the same love that we received to those in our life. And in John 13, this is what Jesus says at the end of this passage. He says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So if you want to embrace the way of love, that Jesus shows us we need to be focused on serving those around us, on willing the good for those around us, of, of working to bless those around us in, in our life. And one of the things that our brokenness can do unintentionally is just trap us inside of ourselves. I mean, I have so much brokenness in there. If I just focused on that all the time, I would, I would be lost. And so as Jesus meets me in my brokenness, he now calls me out of myself to serve others. He shows me that even though I'm messed up, even though I don't know everything, man, he's got a purpose for me. And, it's, and it starts with serving my wife and my kids and those in my neighborhood and showing them the love that I've received even when I'm not perfect and didn't deserve it. It's, it's really not that complicated to embrace the way of Jesus, but it starts with opening our eyes and seeing the opportunities around us to serve. And one of the things that can happen in the church, especially for young adults in, in this, this age, is we can see all the problems with other people and with the church systems around us. 
and miss that God is calling you to make a difference, to build and love and serve his body, to make it more beautiful, even when it might be ugly or imperfect. And when you embrace that, man, it's a beautiful thing. And then the last thing that we need to embrace if we're going to live in the way of Jesus is, is really embracing God's will over my will. As we begin serving other people, man, it's so easy to just get trapped in our selfish desires and try to get Jesus to fulfill all of our agendas and dreams rather than asking God to help us fulfill his. To live for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and be an agent of doing his will wherever we are. I mean, if we get wrapped up in doing the will of God, of living to please our Father in heaven because he loves us like no one else, then we're not going to be as afraid of what other people think of us. And we find this, this freedom to not live intimidated by men because we're intimate with God and we're obeying him rather than the will of other people. And our world wants to trap us into this pattern of thinking that we are God and we need God to get what we, we want him to do for us. And if he doesn't, then he's holding out on us. And do you know what that is? That's the oldest trick in the Bible. That's the oldest lie that Satan has ever thrown at us is that God's holding out on us. You can't trust him. You need to do life all on your own apart from him. And God wants something so much more for you than that. I mean, when you get to the end of your life, I mean, what do you think you really want to be known for? I mean, the reality is all of us have a short time on this earth. There's a dash between the time we are born and the time we die. We're not in control of when we die. But we do get some choice of what we believe and what we live for. And I think when I get to that moment, either when I die or when Jesus takes me home, I want to look back and say, man, I love people like Jesus. And my wife and my kids can say that. And I wasn't perfect but I served them like him. And that I didn't just know about God, I knew God. And I allowed him to, to lead me into steps of faith and risk and obedience that stretched me outside of my comfort zone because that's where life is found. And now I'm ready to meet him face to face. And man, the promise that we'll see in John is that life and eternity is going to be more amazing than we can ever imagine. That God has created a place for us there, but that starts now as we learn to live for and obey his will and share his love with those around us. And I, I think that's the kind of person that you want to be too. And I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if a whole community of young adults lived that way? That said, we're going to be all in for Jesus. We're going to be so caught up with doing his will and follow his leading that we're not going to be distracted by the lies of the world. And that's the kind of community I'm so excited to see you guys get to be a part of. I'm going to invite Tommy back up, and he's going to lead us in a song to respond. But one thing that you know, I wanted to share about me is that I'm a little bit of a nerd in regards to history. I really like to study history and the Bible and revivals in particular. And one of the cool things when you study revivals, those are times in history when God really awakens people to living out the life that you see in the Bible. And the things that Jesus talks about in his way that we're going to be exploring together just become real and personal, um, just become the normal experience for people. That often happens through young adults. And there's a prayer that I wanted to teach you to pray. It comes from the Welsh Revival of, of 1904. And it's really simple. And it says this. This is the attitude and the posture that I want to encourage you to develop in your life. 
Lord, do whatever you want to do in me so you can do whatever you want to do through me. And so whatever you're bringing with you here tonight, I want to invite you just to listen to what God's saying to you. And we're going to respond in worship. And then Carrie's going to come up and there's actually some cards under your seat that she's going to lead you through, just kind of listening to what God's saying to you tonight. But maybe you're here and God just seems really distant to you. And for you, what God wants to do in you is to help you believe that his love is for you. And maybe you're here and you've had something that you're just holding on to and you're trying to fix it your way. And you just need to admit where you're weak and let God into that so you can begin to experience his power in your weakness. Or maybe you've just been holding on to something so hard and you know it's just the thing you, God wants you to let go. And I want to invite you to do that tonight. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you have come from heaven to give your life for us, to get down on your knee and to show us the full extent of your love, that, that you have come to serve us and to wash us clean, to make us new. For anyone here who's just hurting and broken and seems far from you, I pray that they could just admit that to you and bring that to you tonight. And God, that you would just meet us in such a real way as we allow you to do whatever you want to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us. We welcome your Holy Spirit to be our teacher so we could build our life on your love. In Jesus' name, amen.